0: All right, guys, and welcome to another episode of Lion's Guide podcast, where we take on topics in performance and personal growth by exploring the success stories of our guests and their lessons learned. We interview other subject matter experts on topics of performance and growth, and I also review books and other resources to help us all establish clarity, build courage, and lead. I'm your host, Dale Wallace, founder of Lion's Guide, and on this episode, I got Mr. RJ Singh, and RJ knows that through commitment and absolute dedication to the evolution of our mind, body, and spirit complex... We as high-performing and competitive professionals can grow and prosper in all areas of our lives. To, to achieve this, we require intention, discipline, and solid habits. RJ's own journey involved chronic dysfunction, which included violence, crime, youth detention, jails, and even chronic addiction. Um, but with the support of mentors and frameworks he embarked on, uh, he really embarked on the path of overcoming Uh, Through his own experiences, he developed his own frameworks, which empowered him to rebuild and refocus his mind, body, and spirit, which in turn have led to limitless possibilities for him. Uh, On this episode, so RJ and I talk about his story, uh, what he went through in his youth, and all the lessons that he learned in overcoming his journey from chronic dysfunction to that of an ultra runner. So, If you like the sign of that, before we get started, hit that subscribe button now so you don't miss any of our other great guests and content. Uh, As always, this podcast is sponsored by Lions Guide. And if you've been tuning in and getting value from the show then do yourself a favor. Go out to lionsguide.com. I got a members community out there called The Pride and for no cost to you, it's free. You get access to all kinds of free exclusive content to include yet to be released episodes of this podcast. Um, you know, I got reading lists out there. If you're looking for advice for good reads, things to help you grow. We do live virtual training events. Uh, we've got online private communities to help you engage with other growth minded members and a whole lot more. So again, if, um, if join joining the pride's free and i'm developing it all to help you you know break out of your rud or break through to that next higher level of yourself by helping you establish clarity build your courage and being the true leader of your life so check it out now go to allianceguide.com and and join today so with that all said let's join start the show <music> On today today's episode of the podcast, we've got RJ Singh, and uh, he's dialed in from Australia. Founder of Ultra Habits and host of the Ultra Habits podcast. So, RJ, thanks for coming on today, man. Uh, Tell us a little bit about who you are and
1: uh, what you do. Yeah, Dale, thanks for having me on the show. Firstly, just want to thank you for uh, for getting me on here. I know it was a we had some five a.m., four thirty a.m. calls, which was what you know interesting with the time delay. So I am the founder of Ultra Habits. I'm also an executive director at a disruptive logistics business down here in Australia called Cora Cora Group. And yeah, we're just at Ultra Habits. We're all about performance, right? So what are the systems, the processes, the habits that we can engage on a daily basis that help us be successful? And obviously success looks different to individuals. So it's all within the context of your life, right? Yep,
0: hundred uh, percent.
1: So, getting into that, like, tell
0: us a little bit about like your background. Where Where did you grow up? You know, how'd you end up in Australia?
1: You know, what's it? What's your What's your whole story? Yeah, look, uh, there's the novel piece, and then there's the kind of abridged version. I'll give you the abridged version. So, I was born here in Australia in the early '80s, and we migrated to San Francisco Bay Area. And, you know, I had a immigrant's journey in terms of my upbringing. You know, my dad worked a lot. He had a cleaning company. Him and his brother just grinded, you know. They were they were uh, selling by day, cleaning by night and we never saw him, but he provided, right? And, you know, growing up in the San Francisco Bay Area in the 80s, it was a dynamic environment, multicultural. You know, there was this kind of undertone of, uh, liberal views but a bit of hood culture and it was just a really interesting place to grow up I was a really maladjusted kid very I think they'd call attention hyperactive you know hyperactive hyperactivity disorder whatever they call it nowadays but I had all kinds of issues I think that um in the view of the cycle you know the psychological uh, field they call it issues whether or not I call it issues today I guess is a different story but I was just not quite right. And, you know, I took to alcohol, I took to drugs and, you know, that led me down a road of crime, uh, institutions, uh, rehabs, and just a whole bunch of shit in terms of uh, what I had to deal with in that life. And, uh, you know, by the time I was 25 years old. I was a, you know, multiple convicted felon. You know, I had, uh, you know, I had, um, a very dangerous lifestyle. I was making money the wrong way and, you know, I couldn't see any way out. Some shit happened and basically, you know, I made a decision to leave the country and when I left the country, I couldn't go back. And that's when I arrived in Australia and that became the part of a new chapter. Um, It didn't start off well, but I eventually did start to uh, get on the transformation path once I got down here.
0: What do you think was missing like with regard to your childhood growing up in in the Bay Area and ADHD obviously is a factor, but like, what do you think was like pulling you into that world as opposed to not, you know what I mean? Like what, what, what was it? What was it? Lack of purpose, lack
1: of uh, attention? Like what was it? You know, when I use that word ADHD, I use it in a in a cynical manner, right? I think we we label everything. You know, when I go back to the United States, it's super weird how much when you watch TV, pharma is throwing drugs down your throat. They don't actually do that here in Australia. I don't think it's legal. But when you're watching TV, when I go back home, like there is medication after medication just being thrown down everyone's throat, right? So I think we're all born with different constitutions, a bit of nature, a bit of nurture, but given the framework that we're given as children, that then enables us to thrive or barely survive or barely function or not function. And I think what happened was I had no framework. I had no real system orientation that helped me live a good life or orientate me towards kind of purposeful living. So because i stood for nothing, I fell for everything. And I really, really needed to feel part of, I had a very weak sense of self. Um, and then you couple all that stuff with a highly addictive personality. It was a powder keg and a recipe for disaster. Do you
0: think, like, you mentioned your father working, grinding, you didn't see him. Was Do you think that attributed to it, just not having a father figure to kind of put up those uh, guardrails for you and kind of keep you in some sort of framework? Was that, was that, in, number one, I don't want to assume that was a problem, but, but was that a problem? Did that, you think, kind of play in, play into where you went? That's
1: a really good question, Dale. So my father grew up without a father. His father was murdered and an alcohol kind of fueled event. And my dad was an alcoholic. Uh, and he is an introvert and a very complicated man and a man that you really actually can't have a conversation with without him getting frustrated or being very difficult. So you are kind of walking on eggshells around him. In the eighties, he was even more volatile because he was a younger man. And I now know he was probably drinking throughout the day at the office. And, you know, we didn't really see him. He didn't, you know, his definition of success was providing a home, but upon reflection, we never had conversations other than his random gems of kind of pontification, you know, about how to live life. So we, you know, I had a really involved mom in the sense that she was very nurturing and very loving and probably made up for what my dad lacked, but there was no sense of direction from a man. And that actually, we can talk about that later, sent me down a path of looking at any given point in my criminal life, as well as my my business and positive life, I've always had a strong male figure. Uh, and I, I wonder how that correlates to the lack of that when I was growing up. Yeah, no, I think it's real interesting. Now, now, did you have siblings? I had siblings. So I had a, ha- I had a brother who was about seven years older than me. And because of that age gap, And dad, not really being around my big brother served as almost the uncle or dad in many ways. He kind of became the disciplinarian and he was the one that, you know, during the summer when, you know, back in the U S it's crazy to think about it here in Australia, kids are free for three months a, a year. That's like another recipe for disaster. Like, you know, like parents are working, kids are running amok for three months of the year. And my brother was very much the one that kind of hold it down, make sure I was cleaning the house daily, like the disciplines were there. And he was the one, you know, in junior high coming to the school to, you know, he kicked my ass in front of the school once because I was cutting class. Like he was the one that really tried to, I think, give me some discipline, but he was a kid himself, right? So when he became like 17, 18, he went off on his own. You know, journey and struggles, right? So, yeah, that was, um, yeah, it was interesting times, Dale.
0: Yeah, and I was gonna. So, what was the age difference in in you guys? Seven years. Seven years. So he was pretty senior to you as a kid. That's a that's a lot, right? You know, yeah, uh, it is. Yeah. 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 Now the um. Now what kind of like what did you end up? Yeah, I think you said you're a felon.
1: Like, what did you get arrested for? What What did you get convicted for? Yeah. So I mean. When I was in high school, you know, I was an athlete, right? I I was in the Olympic development program in soccer. And I think anyone you would have asked would have told you I was destined for to play in the MLS or go overseas. I went to Europe as a kid, I went to Belgium, played in Holland. I had a natural gift. Plus I had a good work ethic. What's interesting upon reflection, in high school, the crowd and the peer group that I ran with, whilst being a good athlete was cool, it wasn't regarded as like there was no real perceived limelight in it from my perspective. Because within the context of where I was, you know, the school maybe or the the group I was running with. The context of being a good athlete wasn't really one that got me respect. And because I had a loose sense of who I was, that was painful. But what I started to notice was the kids that had some of the cool clothes, they had money, they had stuff, there was this kind of pecking order and they seemed to be at the top. You know, I'd come in and wear the same shit all the time. I didn't have the cool clothes. We didn't, it wasn't that we were poor. My parents just didn't value that, you know, in, in that, right? So because I had this weak sense of identity, it really hurt. And then what happened was, you know, I started to cut class, drink alcohol, smoke weed. I needed to facilitate my use and a drug dealer put drugs in my hands I think the first thing I sold was like LSD or acid. And I'll never forget, you know, I'm 15, 16 years old. People are buying it from me, tabs, drops, they used to call it, sugar cubes. And the power I felt. And that was it. And I was good at it. Because I could hustle, I had drive, I knew how to talk, I knew how to move and groove. And now you got this 15, 16 year old kid who's a chronic alcoholic, chronic alcoholic, finding a source of power and purpose. I had no chance. I had no chance at that point because now I found something that is getting me up that totem pole. And I, that was it. That was it, you know. Um, I struck I, I tried to play soccer for two more years. I got on house arrest when I was seventeen. They agreed to send me to Europe because my coach was a, a professional soccer player. He was from New Jersey. He told the court. He told the courts I could live with him and go and play. And I lasted out in Belgium for a year because I was um, less than a year. I was just getting drunk. And hanging out at the, the pubs with the old men smoking cigarettes. And I came back to the US in my senior year, I got addicted to meth. And then that really took me down a dark path where, you know, you're talking about selling drugs, going to jail for distribution, firearms come into that. You know, I wasn't a violent person, but I knew that perception of violence was important. And you know, that was to become my life for the next 10 years or whatever, until I was 26. Wow. So in, in and out of jail, was
0: it, you know, addicted to meth? So you're trying to, uh, fund your addiction probably Were it, so you're, it's kind of, it sounds like, was it like a, just a cycle, you know, go it, in it, get it, out?
1: Yeah, it was. And whenever I got out, I try to, I was really good And I'm really good at picking myself up because as a chronic fuck up. You kind of have to learn how to pick yourself up. And if you got that kind of X factor, which I know, you know what I'm talking about, Dale, you'll put it together pretty quickly. And I would try to get a job, you know, entry level sales job. I'd go to the job. I'd get the job. I sit there in a boiler room, making cold calls, not knowing what the fuck I'm doing. And I'm like, you know what? My addiction starts to kick in. The craving starts to kick in. I'm like, there's an easier way to make money. I've come out. I've got no friends anymore because all the fair weather, fake friends aren't there when you're not, and you don't have the money when you don't have anything. And I would just be like, I can't, again, I didn't see any potential success in doing the right thing. Because I didn't have any signposts or guidance telling me, well, if you do X, Y, Z, you'll get here and this is how you do it. So invariably, I just went back to the life that I knew, right? And I'd get caught up in the cycle again. And my life was such where, you know, somehow I put it together in 2000 2000, 2001, and I got kind of did some pulled some moves to get myself into a private university in San Francisco that then enabled me to tell people I'm a student business student while I'm doing all kinds of crazy shit i'd get clean for like 3 months 6 months and i would go to the bar and drink and i would then my my willpower would would be weakened I would go use, and it was crazy, Dale, as soon as I use, I would move into this alter ego character for another eight months, year, two years until I got arrested. So what would happen is the moment I used, I started thinking, okay, how am I going to continue to use? And the next day or the day after I'd be back in a crime. It was crazy. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Now I can, I can, you, you tell it well, like you can, cause you can feel it like that. You know, I, I wrote it down. Like you didn't have a positive vision to satisfy your ambition, right? Like you're, you're ambitious, you're a hustler and you couldn't see how to satisfy it other than the excitement. Cause even when you described like getting a job, like it was like, all, I, I saw it coming as you were telling it, like, yeah, you're going to be bored with that, you know? And then boom. There it goes. And, and you're right. That's where the alcohol comes in to like weaken your ambitions to kind of fall further into, like I say, there's things that, you know, aren't good for you. And then, you know, it takes, takes that little crack, little crack in your willpower and down she goes. That's it,
1: man. Down she goes. That's it. It, 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 It's something that I have to even recognize now. Like, you know, you know, when you're in You're deep in work or you're deep in business development for a prolonged period of time and you get home from work, the office, it's 9 p.m., 10 p.m. or whatever. Sometimes even now when I'm driving home and it's late and I'm tired and it's dark on the road, I actually go back to the days when I was selling drugs on the road At night like i can i it will all go there it'll be like that feeling of familiarity where it's not too dissimilar they they call it legal and they call it commerce and they but the 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 kind of drivers and the mechanisms man they can i can go right back there
0: right yeah now i i can understand that drive that um that hustle. I mean, you know, it, 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 that's why they call it hustle in the streets, right? Like in the hustle in the workplace now, it's, it's, it is the same factors, habits, like they're not used for the, for virtuous means, you know, on the, in the dark side, so to speak, but, but those factors are there, right? And that's why you're successful in that dark side. The Same reason you're successful in the, in, in the light side, if you will, in the workplace is because those factors apply both sides. It's just,
1: they're not, not being put to a good
0: use on the, on the
1: other. I didn't know, you know, if you would have asked me, you know, when I started to move towards the powers of good or the light, I thought that when I was in that life, I was not disciplined, but upon reflection, because I quit using drugs um, towards the end and, and just focused on the money, but my alcoholism just became prolific. But if I look at the disciplines I had in play in terms of the finances, the, um, the, the way that I dealt with people, how I got up early in the morning when I wasn't hungover, the planning of the day, the execution of that plan, there was a lot of intention there and there was a system there. That was really driven by my energy, my ambition. And there was a structure, but because I had this addiction, I was inconsistent. And obviously, cause I'm operating in a subculture, which is completely illegal. Um, but there was a correlating there are correlating factors for sure.
0: Yeah. Or or habits, if you will, you know, um, so where, what was the tipping point that, you know, so all this is going on in the States for 10 years, like what, what transacted to take you out of that situation to, to Australia?
1: So I'm 26. Um, I'm in the Bay area. I'm living in Vallejo, which is, uh, between Oakland and Sacramento. You know, I love hustling. I there's something about it, you know, even the suppliers used to be to me, they're like, dude, you're you're crazy. Like you just are knee deep in it, right? Like it was everything to me because my identity was formed by that. It gave me power. And you know, I'm getting to a place where, you know, I've got a college degree. You know, I've got a couple of felonies behind me. Can't really work with that college degree. I could have if I applied myself, but I wasn't willing to. And you know, my, my, my girlfriend who we probably would have gotten married was a drug user, IV user, a good girl from a difficult situation. We have an extremely volatile relationship and I'm dealing with a situation where my green card is up for renewal. I had never become a US naturalized citizen because I'm in the streets. Who the fuck goes and does administration when they're in the streets? <laughs> you know, and after 9-11, anti-terrorism laws start getting applied in different areas that are not necessarily you know foreign terrorism and so there's a lot of scrutiny around people that whilst i had been in the u.s since i was three i wasn't a naturalized citizen so i've got to renew my green card i know they're going to basically put a hold on it and potentially try to export me back to australia i'm living in a completely illegal life still and i've got this relationship where I'm like, at some point, one of us is gonna kill each other. We loved each other in some weird, sick, twisted way. Maybe it wasn't, maybe it was, I don't I don't know. But I just remember talking to my mom about a week or so before I left saying, you know, Ma, and she had always been my support, my rock, right? Like, I can't pull myself out of this. I actually can't get out. The interesting thing, Dale, is that I started to give things away to people before I knew I was gonna leave. And I wonder if subconsciously I knew that was happening. So there were people that had owed me money. I'd taken things and, you know, I had all this stuff at my house, collateral. I just started to return it to people. And I really just wanted to disappear. And I think now reflecting, I kind of knew I was going to leave and I wanted to leave on a clean slate. And what ended up happening was one night I was out and I was at a bar. There was there was a situation and an altercation at that bar. And um, I left and the next day I called my mom and she said that, She'd spoke to somebody and that situation had blown up and I not wanting to be involved in anything, which later on, I found out there was actually no one looking for me. I I wasn't under arrest or anything like that, but just not wanting to be implicated with anything. I said to my mom, I'm going to leave. And that very day, I bought a one-way plane ticket to Australia. I went to Target. Bought a suitcase, filled it with clothes, and went and stayed in a hotel for two days waiting to exit the country. That was, that was the beginning of the end of that life. When I got to the plane, I remember looking at my dad and saying, my dad was distraught. And I remember saying to him, it's a shit situation, but I'm going to get out there and I'm going to make you proud. I'm going to turn this shit around. And I'll never forget the moment that plane started docking off the jettison, the the, the tack. because I love the U S right? Like I, I love home. Like, even though I'm in Australia there's a spiritual home here to a degree, but my home is the Bay area. And I remember just pulling away thinking that's it. You know, that, that, that's, that's a wrap. So, um, that was, that was how I ended up leaving, man. Wow. That's, that's, that's powerful.
0: And, and I think like, and was it that, you know, you, you were hustling and all that, but just you, what was it just, you were becoming aware, like the hell that you were living, like, the high wasn't hiding it anymore? Like you were just, it,
1: cause because you mentioned, wanna... you
0: mentioned the girlfriend and I, and, and I, you know, right. If, if work sucks and you're coming home to home sucks, like that, life, like you're living in hell. So was it like the relationship was just, you know, just point, like, I, I don't know. I was just, I was just trying to find I, a think, tipping point for I, you to say, I, man, I, I, I got to change.
1: What, I think what it was, Dale, I knew I would end up in prison for life. I knew that was coming. California strike three laws. You know, I was on my way there. And I, I now, you know, as an older person, seeing and being exposed to people that traveled that path, now know people that have life sentences. And their trajectory to that life sentence was no, different than mine it wasn't intentional they just kept getting caught for some critical shit and i just knew i did not want to spend the rest of my life in a california state penitentiary you know so um that was a that was becoming really crystallized and i think survival instinct kicked in yeah yeah and i I see that you know what I'm saying, bro? Like, I just could not pull myself out of it back home. I just couldn't. I didn't have the will, and I didn't have the path. Where? What was I going to do?
0: What? uh So, you get on a plane to go Australia. Like, did you have family? Like, because you had been in the States for a fair amount of time, it sounds like, right? Was it 20, as much as 20 years or 15, 20 years?
1: Yeah, I was 26 at the time. I had left Australia when I was three. Yeah, so, I've been there yeah. 23 years, right? So, You know, we have a global family. So, you know, I've got aunts and cousins here. I land in Sydney and the whole plane trip, I'm just drinking free booze, right? It's free flow, right? I'll never say no to free alcohol. I'm sitting between two girls that are really, really cute. It was interesting. And I get here and the need to keep moving like in the uncomfortability sets in and the reality sets in. And, you know, within a day or so, I decided to go to Brisbane, which is Queensland. It's a small, it's a big state, but it's a smaller city because I have a half sister that lives there. My dad had a a daughter who lived there and I decided to go there and reconnect. And I went to visit her on like day two of being in Australia or day three and just decided to live there. The interesting thing is I land in Australia January 26, 2008, and by March third, I have a job in sales and an apartment fully furnished, and I'm off on my own. So it was extraordinary that in the space of such a short time, I picked myself up. And I, you know, I got a job at entry telesales job in uh, logistics. And that's why I'm now in logistics at a a DHL, which is a, a global company. And that was it. And that was extremely challenging because I've now got this nine to five life with a mindset that is like still stuck back in a certain lifestyle in a foreign country with very little support. And everything just is unfamiliar and I've got no life skills. (laughs) And was the temptation there, like, like, so
0: back in the States, you had that cycle where you got in this, got in the box, nine to five, got bored, turned the page, went back. It was that temptation still creeping there. Like you, you did the right thing, right? Cause it sounds like a lot of addicts, they say, man, the minute you let them out of rehab, if they go right back to that same environment, they're, they're done. So, the, the best thing it seems like is to get them out of that environment. So it sounds like you got yourself out of that environment, but you're you're back in maybe this little lower lower speed circumstance. Maybe where it was the temptation there to to do the same thing in Australia?
1: Here's the thing: I quit any drugs well before I got here. I knew I could not use drugs here because I knew that if I used drugs, I was done. My alcoholism became prolific and very dark because now I'm living in my head of where I came from, heartbroken, underskilled. Ambition has gotten me to a decent starting point and I'm battling now the fact I'm drinking every night, but I've got to go to work, which I never had to do. That was hard. Now my drinking and where I was drinking in Brisbane was interesting because I was going to the seediest strip clubs and using it as a bar because that's what I felt comfortable in being where everything was loose and, you know, and people were just, it was just debauchery. Right. And that's where I felt very comfortable. So, You know, I did that. I held it together for a year and then fell apart and, you know, went to France to go join the French foreign Legion, was there for a while, aborted, came back here with nothing and then, you know, got another job. I thought I'd now learn my lesson, kept drinking through that job. And that fell apart. And then I got another job at a firm where it was privately owned. They were a disruptor. They're now my biggest competitor at Quora, but I met one of the directors there, um, who took a major liking and interest to me. And he was a natural teacher and a lover of the underdog. And a lover of the Bay Area, which was interesting because he lived there. And I basically surrendered my story to him one day at the height of my drinking. Um, and that was the turning point.
0: Up till that point, did many people know your backstory and
1: what you'd come from? Certain people that I was working with, like peers did and to be fair to the company that i went to once i came back from the french foreign legion they're a massive corporate organization the directors would show up at my house because i would be you know i'd go awol for two or three days the sales manager would lie for me there they saw a lot of potential in me one of the sales managers in a different division tried to take me to church, right? Like they tried, but there was something missing there that when I got to a place about a year later, I was in a much better place to embrace transformation and change
0: mm-hmm. and then this mentor do you feel the mentor kind of filled that 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 fatherly figure
1: that you were kind of missing maybe until that point? It's funny because we caught up yesterday. We catch up weekly. When I left that firm in 2015 to come to Cora, our relationship fell apart a little bit because we're deep competitors. And he felt I did the wrong thing on the way out, which I I kind of did. I did, but we've reconnected. Now that I've moved to to Victoria, I've moved back to the state that he's in because Cora head office is here. And now We're seeing each other every week. Our kids are the same age. It's very special. Like we have two kids, the same age. He's in a much better place, much, he's much better balanced. He used to be, he modeled some really prolific workaholism. Um, but we caught up yesterday and I said to my wife, I said, I haven't been around Matthew consistently for since 2015, and now I see him every week, twice a week. I said, I have such a deep emotional connection to this man and trust, and it's just like, I feel like for the first time in six years, I've come back to a place where I have someone in my corner. From a business perspective, like in that life, like my wife's totally in my corner, but I can't have those conversations with her. And it's just profound. Um, the, the level of buy-in I have to this guy. Um, but to your earlier question, yes, I do. I feel what happened was when we going back to when I joined his company in 2010 is when I joined his company. I was a sales rep still drinking, but at that point I'd fallen enough here in Australia to know I needed to focus on work and the environment, the culture, because it was privately owned, there was something special there. Right. But I'm still drinking madly. I'm like, this is just, it's just crazy. Right. Like I'm coming to work with stitches in my head. People are asking me what happened. Like I got hit in the head with a bottle, telling them I fell off a bike. Like it's just weird <laughs> shit, right? Like it's, and, and they've got this sales manager who's not a partner and he's driving me because he's, he knows that through driving me, it's driving everyone else. And this particular director was a CFO at the time. So he didn't have a lot to do with me, but they made an announcement that he was going to come over and become the general manager, which meant that I would report to the sales manager that reported to him. We had a one-on-one and I just knew there was something in this dude that was actually altruistic. He cared and I had a bender on the weekend and i had a really bad bender and the monday instead of calling my sales manager i call i texted him who was his boss and said i'm resigning it was like 5 in the am 5 am i sent his text he calls me the next morning and says let me give you some life and career advice don't make life altering decisions 5 am when you're drunk I said let's catch up tomorrow at a coffee shop And we caught up at a coffee shop and I told him, A, your sales manager is no good and he's driving me and whilst I'm out of control, he's not really supporting me. And he knew that too. He knew the sales manager wasn't any good. And he appeared to really care. Like I I remember telling him and I'll still remember the look on his face when I told him how the sales manager was operating. And then the second thing I did was I told him my story for some reason. And I think the next week he was, I was, I was with him every day from there on in and anything he did, he, you know, if I, if I went out to client meetings, he came, if he went interstate to do business, he took me, um, he would run, he'd always have his running shoes. I would run and I'd be huffing and puffing because I'm smoking 50 cigarettes a day and eating, you know, shit food, but he started to model what success looked like. And what he told me without telling me was, you're my tribe, RJ. You just don't know it yet. And once I got that messaging, I was off. Admittedly, I also decided to get back into AA because I knew this was the last chance of, of success. In my view, I was 28, 20 something, 27, 28. So I decided to get sober. And then let this man lead me to where he thought I could go.
0: That was it. So it was like your second epiphany moment, right? The first one was I got to do something or bad things are going to happen. And this one... Was I got to do something, or I'm going to miss an op- a huge opportunity here, right? Like you, you, you kind of saw this big opportunity to, to 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 get out of it in a good way, you know. Um, you had you had that positive vision that you didn't have before, right? You before you had that negative vision. You're like, if I don't do something, this is going to happen. And this time, it's like if I don't do something, I'm going to miss out on on that.
1: In in many ways, uh, if I I, I liken my relationship to him. Um, in a similar way that Mike Tyson did with custom Auto. I really, I really resonate with Mike Tyson's view of cause when it comes to Matthew, because what he did was he gave me a pathway to transform. He didn't realize that maybe he also didn't focus on why I'd been an unsuccessful human. He just said, this is what excellence looks like. And you got the material. But you just need to fall. He was so confident in his ability. I mean, we talked about this yesterday. We look at the senior executives in our category here. So many came out of his grad program. He just had that ability. And in in certain ways, he probably, there was probably a bit of a defect of character there where he needed to fix people. Which burnt him at times, but he, I leveraged that and became very intentional to deliver to his expectation. Hey guys, Dale here. And I wanted to take a quick break
0: to invite you to join the launch of the Lion's Guy community called The Pride. You see, whether it was at work dealing with the demands of the day or maintaining the demands of my life at home, I always seemed to feel like my struggles were unique. Like somehow I was the only one struggling to find joy amidst all the weight that I felt I was carrying each day. And, you know, what I've come to realize is that we all have our struggles that we're up against, and it's pretty demanding The only way to rise to those demands is to decide and make the change to adopt a growth mindset, to be what I call a high performer. And that's why I started Lion's Guide. I want to help you break through to the next level of you and your ability to not only meet but exceed those demands on you and in doing so, find your joy again. If you're a growth-minded individual ready to make a change, then I'm here for you. And this is how you get started. I invite you to visit lionsguide.com and sign up to join the pride. The Pride is the Lions God community for growth-minded members like you. Once signed up, you'll get special access to all the free content and resources I'm putting out there. You'll also be invited to join my live online events where I host sessions on personal growth and high performance. You'll also be able to engage with other growth-minded members on our private online group. Also, if you enjoy the podcast as a member, you'll get access not only to all the podcasts, but also the podcasts that have been yet to be released. So get access to all this and more. So break out of that rut. Break into your next level and join me on lionsguide.com and let's grow together. Go to lionsguide.com and become a member of the pride today. Now back to the show. Setting an example is, to me, like one of the most powerful leadership traits, leadership influence, whichever, right? You know, show people what's possible, you know, Um, when you see it, you can believe it, you know, and and especially when it's like close to you like that, or, or you can have a mentor that can help. Uh, you're not just seeing it on TV, you're not, you know, on the tube. You're, you're you actually have that resource at hand, you know, to kind of see it firsthand and then inquire and learn and, you know, all those things. So, what, how did things transpire from there? So, have you, so are talking about the AA stuff. So, you're
1: a non drinker now at this point, I would imagine, or? Complete abstinence, bro. Um, I've been sober for over 10 years. Wow. Congratulations. I, look to rid and look to minimize vice. I have a stoics perspective without being a practicing stoic. I I work out of some of their journaling. Um, I have my own practice, which is very existential, meaning it's very how I be in the world. And, you know, for me, it's about minimization of things that impact my ability to live intentionally with powerful will. I try not to fuck around, you know, because I don't like slavery. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I'm saying, bro? Like, you know, I know that's, I may be polarizing what, you know, the effects (laughs) of bites are, but that's how I view it.
0: But yeah, no, I mean, it's 100% the truth. I, I mean, it, I, and it goes back to, you know, this conversation comes up a lot. And I mean, this podcast is about enabling growth and it always comes up about the effect of alcoholism, you know, and alcohol. And we, we, I think we hit on it really well earlier, which is it puts a crack in that, that willpower, you know, and, and I've seen it just, it, it is becomes that, that little, little sliver in your armor, you know, that those other things can start sliding into and then start prying it open in that. You know, then like we said earlier,
1: then it's, it's a wrap. Mm -hmm. I I feel that there's a really interesting, you know, I reflected upon this a a, a few weeks ago. We don't talk about willpower anymore. Have you noticed that as a society? Like it's something that we just don't really discuss. (laughs) Well, (laughs) man, so
0: (laughs) you know. Because everything's this huge comfort zone, you know. There's this huge comfort zone. Like, why do you have to have willpower today? I mean, there's there's no necessity, really. I mean, what what's the necessity to have the willpower to let's just go easy, be fit? What? Why? Why do you need to be fit? Why do you? Why do you need to not drink? Right? Like, it's so easy. Like, I mean, it, all your pro- problems go away. Like, so I don't know. I mean, I think I think culturally, um, it's promoted. Um, I, it's it's hard to avoid i guess i'll say it's it to kind of seek to be so comfortable comfortably numb even i'll go there um that to live a life of I'll, we'll use another word that's a great virtue but it's got this bad um rap which is discipline like living a life of discipline that there's there's a small number man there i mean i, I would say today i don't know i i, the, I think the one good thing that social media and all this is bringing about is is we are seeing those of us who do believe in, I um, guess you said slavery. I'm going to take the other side, freedom, right? Whether it's financial freedom, mental freedom, like you know, freedom of of bad habits and all these things, um, you know, we are finding each other, right? And. You, you said it, it's a lonely place without that, you know, and I've been fortunate like over the last year doing this, like to come across some great high performers like you and, and other guys who I'm like, man, I, I enjoy talking to these guys. Cause you know, not that, not that my local circle, I'm not, I don't mean anything bad about them, but it's nice to run into other high performers and just talk at this level, uh, from a relatability factor, I guess, you know, to kind of go, that that appreciate it you know and a life of routine and good habit and and all that stuff the willpower part um you know um you know because it it, again this is no judgment but it's easy not to be that it's so easy not to be that you can get away with with everything with no consequence you know um to it to a degree i don't know if that answers your question but yeah i mean that's kind of no i i I agree i
1: agree I, i agree with you i think i think That is why in the West, people do Spartan, right? Like I talked to Joe about this a couple of times. Like he's basically manufacturing adversity for people that don't have enough of it. And we're celebrating ourselves for for strengthening ourselves. Why do we do that? Because subconsciously we believe we're weak. We believe and we know we're a weak society. Because we've gone for efficiency and optimization, which is good, but in the process of that, we've lost the ability to optimize ourselves. <laughs> it's like that movie that movie my son watches all the time on Disney, um, where it's their robots and like it's the future. wall you know, oh, right. in the future oh, yeah. they're all Have you seen that? Yeah. <laughs> 100%. You know, they're all like overweight. They don't want to move. They're on a ship, you know. Like and the robots that are doing everything for yeah. them. Like,
0: we don't even need to need to leave our house to socialize anymore, right? Like you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, and I think, I, I and I think, you know, look, it's no surprise that you can map all the current mental health crisis stuff to this very primal need of fulfillment and engagement and in, in meaning, you know, uh, we talked a little bit earlier about like lack of meaning and the effects of that we're seeing so much diversity in the negative effects of kind of what's, what's going on today with everything kind of, again, being so accessible and easy to get and easy to indulge on. And, in this, 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 this dopamine market, you know, of whether it's sugar or social media, or, or, I mean, it just, it's like I say, it's so easy just to be comfortable and, and satisfy these, um, these uh, bad habits and and avoid good ones and you got there's no necessity
1: yeah Uh, i what i tend to look at is you know i tend to to think that whilst being open having an open kind of being open having an open posture in life to being receptive we have to move through life vigilant vigilant not against this perceived political enemy we're we're vigilant now against the wrong things i think like ideas and we can't debate properly like we're vigilant in ways that i think may not be effective but what i mean by vigilance is vigilant to the decisions that are laid upon us and the paths we take with those decisions micro decisions am i vigilant when i walk to the company fridge after there's an apple sitting there and there's a fucking bag of candy sitting there. My vigilance is going to move me towards the right decision, but we don't live that way. We're on uh, autopilot.
0: Yeah. I was thinking this morning, man, uh, cause I think, <laughs> I think you just said it, right? This manufactured enemy, right? And I was thinking this morning, I said we found the enemy and and he is us right like that that old quote like it is us man you know we're we're our own detriment like we're so tangled up in these external conflicts and politics and it's a great distraction for from the stuff that we know we should be doing right to your part or like we we know we're wrong we know we're weak we you know but we're not willing to go through the pain to test ourselves and whatever um you know again living that living that comfort life um, so which, which is, which is a better spend of your energy. If you're of that mindset going through the gym or getting online and complaining about the latest divisive political debate, right. You can go exhaust your primal energy on literally nothing, you know, literally nothing. Um, but it's so easy to do that. And, and I, I, again, I, the more just like I say this morning, I was kind of reflecting on it, just kind of, you know, in my head, I was like, yeah, we, we found the enemy and he is us. You know, like we're just, I, I, we're in a spiral here with, with all this social discontent. Well,
1: yeah, well, here's the go, right? Like, I think that there's, when you look at that, like, I will teach my children to be the change they want to see. And what that means is we strengthen the, the, the man or woman should strengthen themselves first. And with the view of impacting their environment, if an individual is simply pontificating about change, they're actually not, and not embodying that change, they're part of the problem. So if an individual isn't strengthening their mind, body, spirit, to be a better member of society, then their rants and raves are actually adding fuel to a fire because they're not coming with a solution because they should be the solution. Their very embodiment should be the solution.
0: It's like what I talked about earlier, right? The greatest uh, uh, trait of leadership is setting the example, right? You don't need to be in charge of people, but you can set an example and indirectly lead them to a better way. I'd say that's the biggest thing I get back from this podcast since I've been doing it and again, I just wanted to have authentic conversations with real people and, and overcoming challenges. To, again, back mm-hmm. to setting the example, seeing the example. And that's the biggest feedback I get about this. Like it, it, to alcohol for a moment, you know, um, I'll get a lot of response. Like, hey, man, I listened to XYZ podcast. Mm-hmm. You guys talked about not drinking. And so I gave it a try. And, it's, it, and they talk about the impact. That's what you're talking about. Like we got to get out there and just put it on display you know because i i think the way i put this often is like i'm a soldier in a good fight because there's not enough soldiers in the fight that you just described like being the the positive role models in the world not not you know you go on instagram and there's all this indulgence indulgence in cars and women and ba ba ba, ba like that stuff's fake man it's not real life you know real life is hard and and it takes the struggle and you've got to be prepared to uh square in square to and lean into that struggle like and that that's right here that no that's right here that's that's where that work and the necessity really is that that we hide from you know life's not going to get easy, any easier it's not easy you know and if you think it is it's coming if you're and if you're coasting it, it it's it's coming and so that that's uh, i guess what I really enjoy about this and these conversations is, is having it. And even to your point, I'm the same way with my kids. Like I, one of the things I don't really drink, I, I don't drink. And, and the reason is I don't want to give them that. I don't want them looking at me. And especially now these teenage kids, I mean, you lived it obviously, but, but they're finding the kids, you know, for the same reasons, I think with the, with the social media and they're in their heads and all the wrong way, and they're trying to be accepted because they don't think they're good enough. They, they drink and to be cool. Like a lot of the things that you described to fit in and, and they, and they know they're wrong, but they, they feel they have to do it. And I just want to at least be an example for my sons and daughter that you don't have to, you know, I don't, you don't have to, I, I, I and I still have a good time and a great life and, in all these things, but I don't have to indulge in these things. I know that don't serve me and you don't either. And I want to be like, like you said, a in the proper position to be a role model when that conversation happens, when, when those conversations, you know what I mean? Like you don't, <laughs> you're not going to believe the message if you don't believe the messenger, they say, you know, I, I want to be in that position, you know, and that might, that might not be for another couple of years, but I want to be there. I want to be firmly rooted in my ability to say, Hey, look, you don't need to do that. I don't do it, you know, and set a good example when, and be a leader you know, for, for my family in that regard.
1: I completely agree with that. I think that For anyone that is, you know, we talk about male woman, man, woman, uh, but particularly because we're both dads, I think for any man that is really looking for a why um, and, you, you know, they're struggling to find their own internal why, you know, look into the eyes of your children and understand that they should and could be your why, because at some point they're going to look at you. They are looking at you as the bar and that's a, and that should be the biggest motivator for anyone because to your point, when that moment of truth comes, we don't want to be viewed as a hypocrite, you know, the hypocrite and they'll see that real quick.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I had that in high school. I was kind of like, I'm not going to college. My parents didn't go to college. Why am I going to college? I mean, I just, I never even looked at it. Never. I, it gave me a great reason to not do good in school. I was like, well, my parents didn't go to college. I'm not going to college. So what do I care about my GPA? Who cares about an SAT? I'm not going to school. I didn't have a plan on what I was going to do otherwise, but I knew they didn't go. So I wasn't gone. And, and that's it. Like you're as a parent. You're, you're, you're handing a blueprint, whether you know it or not, you're handing a blueprint of life because you are all they have to model off of unless there's some other significant, you know, influence
1: otherwise. And I think it's really important too. I think you brought up a really good point. Like, you know, if, if we're a parent that we didn't go to school and we know our kids are going to be looking at that. To have that conversation with our kids saying, look, we didn't go to school. I didn't go to university or I didn't do well in school, but this is why it's actually really important. And this is how I fucked up by actually calling yourself out on the fact that you're going to be a hypocrite because you're going to ask them to do something that you didn't do yourself, but explaining why. And I think a lot of us, as parents, don't do that.
0: I, I, you know? look, parent parenting is a is a leadership role, right? Like, and in, in, mm-hmm. in, in, in a lot of a lot of stuff, a lot of conversations I love to have are about the you know we read all these leadership management books as if it only you know exists in that in that high rise. It exists everywhere, <laughs> you know. Even with yourself, like leadership management and tactics apply to your everyday living, how you're managing your family, how you're engaging with others, non work, like it, it applies everywhere. It really does. So with, with regard to where you went from there, so how did you get, where'd you go from there? Like ultra habits, tell me the, tell me the story on getting, getting this together.
1: So getting sober was what I call the first crucible. Right. And you know, I got sober business was, uh, probably the second crucible for, you know, like that happened concurrently. I was running to stay sane, running really far on the road, but just to stay sane. Instead of going out to the bar at night, I was running and I've got, you know, this redefining of who I am through business and... 2013 comes around and I'm kind of like hitting this place in my career of a pretty good sales guy, but looking around me as to, and particularly Matthew, the previous mentor, as to what made him and what makes him special and what's enabling people to get a seat at the table and, you know, capability is obvious. And I thought, well, how am I going to increase my capability? So I decided to embark on an executive MBA at a very, very difficult school program here in Australia. And that was the beginning of a four-year journey of, you know, 20-hour study weeks whilst having to hit targets. And that led me on a what I call my third crucible, where it was one of education and infusing that street smarts with some dynamic functional capability, which was pretty dangerous and is pretty dangerous now in practice. And when the NBA ended in 2017, my wife said, look, we've just had our first kid. You got to do nothing for six months, right? Like, and she's a new mom. She's young. She still hasn't taken to being a mom yet. You know, there's a kind of teething period where Women go from being a girlfriend, wife to actually living as a mother. Right. And so I, I took six months off and, um, because of all the study, I hadn't been running because running takes too long. I was doing you know 20 minute, 15 minute workout sessions. Right. While I was studying and I went for a run in 2017. Um, just, we went to Northern New South Wales. Australia is a beautiful place physically just without parallel in many ways, Uh, along the East coast, um, New South Wales and Queensland, it's literally beach after beach after beach, you know? Um, and we went to a beautiful part of the country, not far from our home, met up with my mother-in-law and I went for a run and I fell in love with it. And, um, A friend of mine had told me they were signing up to this kind of thing called an ultra marathon. And early on in my sober days, I had gone hiking a lot and whilst hiking started to run, but I didn't know it was actually a thing. Had I known it was a thing, I probably would have never done business. I would have become a professional ultra runner, to be honest with you. But, um, I signed up for this run and that was it. And. It was, um, so hard, so hard. And he's even is someone that running comes pretty natural to, you know, mile or uh, maybe, you know, 25 kilometers in I'm at the top of a peak. I've got road running shoes, my diets all wrong. I got, I had no idea what actually an ultra ultra marathon on, on trail would entail. I'd been tra- training on road. I'm at the top of this hill or mountain, this, this climb. We couldn't even run it the climb, you know, full body spasms halfway through with no one there. And, um, I, I picked myself and got through it and then that was it. I was, I realized that this ultra running caper was really a culmination of my stance in life. (laughs) And I knew that it would become my next crucible because it would become and enable me to learn more. It was going to become my physical crucible. I had done the running thing, or sorry, the MBA, the learning crucible, the business crucible. This was going to become the physical crucible. And so what did that turn
0: into? What are you, what do you are we? What are we talking? Like fifty milers, hundred milers? What? What's yeah, the run? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Basically, um, just short of a hundred miles, multiple marathons, yeah, consecutive marathons, stuff like that. Um, what slowed down the progression of the ultra marathon pieces? Kids and business. It's very difficult to train in what is an inherently selfish pursuit without just being wrecked Um, and what I then realized though was I still love the run and I will start running ultra marathons again later on this year. What I realized was that I didn't want that to end the learnings that have come out of the ultra marathon piece and the correlation to business and executive life. There is some deep correlation there. And that was the the birth of Ultra Habits.
0: That yeah, ultra I, habits. It, and what are some, for example, that that you're seeing that you relate, bring back to the workplace from the, it, it's, uh, from it's, the trail? It's,
1: it's the ability to endure, and that is the competitive advantage. Yeah, that is my competitive advantage in business. Because winning in business
0: like isn't that. easy, right? Like it goes to, the, if, if it was easy, everyone would do it. Everyone would win. Everyone would be a multimillionaire, billionaire, whatever, right? It's not, you know, there's a reason it's not. And uh, <laughs> no, I love it because back, man, back in the day, I think I was like, mm, maybe, maybe three or four or five years in business. And I met somebody, maybe a networking event or, or I don't know, but I somehow was talking to someone, I don't remember who it was. But I told him what I was doing. When I had started this business and blah blah. i was like, oh, it must be nice having your own business. And it just came out. It's like, well, obviously, you've never had a business before because there's nothing nice about it. <laughs> like it is, it is work nonstop, and you never get to leave it, right? Like when you're an employee, you know, I mean, and I'm speaking from an owner's perspective, entrepreneur owner's perspective. Like when you're an employee, you can clock out, go home, go deal with life's other problems. When you're an entrepreneur, business owner, and that's what's putting food on the table you know that that's all you think about you know it's it's nonstop it's so so i really do appreciate the uh the uh the art of endurance you, you know in business know yeah do. for
1: sure the the interesting thing about that is i've been having uh, conversations with a um i've had multiple conversations in this vein but um i've been having conversations with a woman who's a um a journalist for vice and she's written a book called everything harder than everyone else. And it's really quite impactful. She dives into subcultures. You're talking about, you know, pornography, ultra marathoning, heavy lifting. And she has this view that, and there's studies in her book to back it that People that can endure have typically had a high level of trauma. That's an interesting piece, right? So it's like, well, how, how do you then teach your kids to endure without making them suffer and be broken to a degree, right? You know?
0: (sighs) yes um and thus the thus the birth of the comfort zone right like we we don't want our kids to go through that discomfort so we give them more than probably we should to to protect them from those pains right like it's yeah. um uh, you know so yeah um you know angela ducksworth talks about that you know with grit you know um you know a combination of passion and perseverance like how do you instill that you know and and, and help your children find that um it's it's a it's a good topic because because it's it's a it's conflicted, right? We want to we want to make them happy, you know. We want to provide for them, and and at the same time, uh, there there has to be the right balance in that. You still have to challenge them, you know.
1: Um, I think you create intentional context, right? And I mean, people do that within sport, and you know they they do that within a context. Um, so it's not abusive in day to day life, and doesn't move them to endure because of a sense of brokenness and the need to inflate their personality or a need to, you know, there's something in the view of, you know, how powerful it is when you have that mindset of conquering your environment, but is that coming from a place of brokenness? And I've actually had conversations with, just to round that out, A man named Ian Pollard, very polished Australian executive. He was the chairman of Billabong, very educated. And, uh, he's a PhD road scholar, aristocratic in feel very nice man. He's an actuary, very good with maths. His dad was a PhD. He was, uh, almost a professional tennis player, like just super capable. But he said something to me once he said. He goes, I'm not a man that can run through a brick wall. I don't have that level of determination. He goes, I became successful because the bar was high when I was young. My uncle was a professional tennis player. My dad was a PhD. So he, his view was that he didn't get super successful and competent through trauma or this need to prove to himself. But he became competent because the bar around him was high. It was just the function of the environment, which is interesting.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's that's well put. And um, and it's just for you as a dad. It's a conversation I had in, in my own house around the dinner table. It's like, look, I know we've got things. And when I came up, I didn't have these things. And what I want is I want you to go farther. I want you to be having this conversation with your kids going, hey, we've got things, things that when I was growing up, I didn't have, right? Like, and it was, it was the moral of the story was like, look, we didn't, I didn't come this far to only come this far, right? I didn't come this far to watch you guys just kind of stay here. I want, I want to lay this next step for you to, to step off of and and, and to keep taking it to that next level. And maybe that's it, you know, like, like to your point, And I'm glad you said that because, um, when you're asking the question, like, how do you instill the grit without pushing so much suffering? Like, set that bar high, you know, set that bar high and, and set the expectation. show the set the example. So, so you've been through a lot. Um, and I know we're coming up on time.
1: What, uh, what are you most proud of have with, with all, all that you've overcome? It's probably that I'm walking with values and I'm walking with the system. And as a function of that, I've been able to attract and create and build good things around me, you know? So, I think that, you know, I think that's probably where I feel the most sense of achievement that, you know, I, I, I've been able to exert myself successfully in this life and move from where I was before to where I'm now.
0: Yeah, no, I love it. I, it's, I, as you say that, I visualize like what you're proud of is the gap that you've overcome. Like how, how deep you yeah. were and how far you've you've striven, and yeah, that's awesome, man. No, good for you, man. It's it's freaking freaking powerful story to to just that to show how how far you can come, how far you can go, you know, um, on, on that track. Um, That all said,
1: how can people find you on the podcast? How you yeah. connect with you online? Yeah. All that good stuff. Yeah, man. So www.ultrahabits.co, everything is there. Um, LinkedIn, R.J. Singh, Ultra Habits um ultra dot habits at instagram but www.ultrahabits.co is where everything is all the information anything you want to know about the show or where to find me to connect I'm there
0: awesome man now i appreciate it. it's it been an honor to have you on man i, Thanks I for love having it me, i love it i appreciate it you're really really singing my music man i love it the, now, i appreciate uh, the time dale no it's awesome so thanks sir appreciate you sharing your story and uh and like I say it's going to serve somebody out there so thanks for coming on rj and i'll talk to you soon over and out man